You know, uh, several months back, I was watching somebody attempt to do something uh, that as an incapable man, I would never attempt to do. And, and while they're trying to complete the task, uh, they all of a sudden did something that I didn't expect them to do. In, in other words, what I was watching them do did not seem to be a necessary part of what I thought that they would do to get the task accomplished. And I finally asked them, why are you doing it that way? And the response to me was, because that's the way we've always done it. Now, again, when you think about that statement, that's the way we've always done it, We've all heard that statement countless times, and it may apply to your own life. You know, you do certain things because that's the way it's always been done. Uh, people did something because, again, that's the way their grandmother did it, or their great-grandmother did it, or their grandparents did it, or their parents did it. We've done something in a way that we've seen or heard it done before, so it looked good then, so we just adopted that, and we started doing it the way that everybody else did it. Now, believe it or not, there are a couple of subjects that fall right into the li that line of thinking that are part of what people think about the church. There are certain things that fall in that line of thinking within the church. And again, you only have to talk to people just a moment, because I know we have people visiting here, and I don't know all of their denominations, but you, 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 you know people have histories uh, in other churches and other denominations, and you only have to talk to people just a moment, and they're going to tell you how they believe what you saw just a moment, should be, a moment ago should be done. They're going to tell you this is the way that we believe that baptism should be done. And the truth is this, when you start talking about people being baptized or when you start talking about baptism, it can get kind of emotional because baptism for some people is a very emotional subject. So here's what I want you to realize today before you get all bent out of shape, okay? I just want to go ahead and say this. The way that you view what we did just a moment ago, baptism, the way that you see that, the lens through which you notice that and watch that, the way that you view that is 90% shaped by the way that you were brought up. Your view of baptism is shaped by the way that you were raised. You, you, you haven't done research on baptism. I can almost guarantee that. Nobody does research on baptism. But the way that you view baptism, the, the thing that Nathan experienced just a moment ago, but the way that you see it, that has been shaped by the way that you were brought up, by the way that you were raised. And I always think it's interesting when we do a baptism service here at Crossroads because many times in one of the two services, there's going to there's gonna be somebody here in the service who's not a Christian. They don't follow Jesus. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here in this 830 service and you would say, I'm not a Christian. And, and, and you watch this whole baptism thing and you see people dunk somebody in water and say certain things. And to you, that just seems weird. It seems weird in this age of technology that a guy would, would, would take his hand and put a rag in his hand and put it over somebody's mouth and, and put them in the water and say things as he does that. Well, 
the reason that we're talking about baptism today is because of Nathan and his profession of faith of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And not just because of him, but the reason we're talking about baptism today is because it was the perfect opportunity for me to let you understand that we at Crossroads believe that baptism is something that is extraordinarily important. And we also believe that it's impactful when baptism is done right. We think it's so important that we wanted to talk about it again this morning because we've talked about it before. But we want to talk about it again this morning because we believe in this service and in the next service and in those people who are joining us online, we believe there are people who are wanting to take the next step. But they just need to know a little more about baptism. And again, the reason baptism is so important is simply because of this. When, when you read the New Testament, you're going to see that every time somebody in the New Testament put their faith in Jesus Christ and they had that aha moment, the, the New Testament tells us that once they put their faith in Jesus, the Bible says almost immediately they went out and they experienced what Nathan experienced this morning. They were baptized. Following their faith. Following their salvation. Following their decision to embrace Jesus and to follow Jesus. They did this, what was starting out to be this weird thing called baptism. And if that wasn't weird enough, I, I want you to listen to these verses. This is Jesus actually speaking, and he's at the end of his ministry, and he's about to leave the earth. And, and these are the parting words that Jesus has for the people who are closest to him. Here's what he said, Matthew 28, verse 19. Look, oh, I can't, it's not up there, I forgot, so anyway. For those that don't know, we lost our computer, so we're trying to get that fixed. But in this day and age of, uh, Scott probably knows what I'm talking about, supply chain problems, we're, we're having to wait a week or two, but we should have it fixed maybe next week. But here's what Jesus said. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that command is actually for us too. That command is for the church. Jesus commands us as a church, as Christians, to baptize those who, who decide, who become his followers, followers of Jesus Christ. Now, now here's where we're going with this. L listen, listen. So if Jesus has commanded us to baptize people who have made the decision to follow him, then how could it be that some denominations have taken this sacred thing called baptism and they've shoved it up to the very beginning of a person's life? Why was baptism taken and moved 
to the very beginning of a person's life. Because here's the thing, listen. If you take the time to read the New Testament, you're not going to find that anywhere. You're not going to find one example where somebody was baptized as an infant, as a child, as a newborn. So my question this morning, and again, I'm not trying to attack anybody. My question is just this. Why have denominations done that? And again, let me, let me just say this again before we go further, because again, this isn't the first time that I have spoke on this topic here, and I always want to qualify, I'm never out to attack anybody. And I'm going to be very intentional to try not to mention particular denominations. But there are many denominations where they have this act of infant baptism and that act of baptizing a baby in that church or in that denomination, it's become what I call a tradition. And then again, you talk to those people who attend those churches in those denominations and you ask them, why is it that you baptized a newborn or a baby or an infant? And they'll tell you, I don't know. Because that's just the way we've always done it. All they know is that they feel like baptizing their newborn child is something that they think is really important, and they just do it. But here's, here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. If you take the time to investigate those denominations who are practicing the act of infant baptism, I'm going to tell you something that you're going to find. You're also going to find that that denomination that's, pr that's practicing the act of infant baptism is not a denomination that encourages their people to read their Bible. Now, they believe the Bible. Don't get me wrong. They believe the Bible and everything. But they really don't encourage their people to dive into the Scripture and to see what the Scripture says about anything. So here's the thing I'm telling you this morning. If your church or your denomination never encourages you to take the time on your own to read your Bible, then you don't know what's in the Bible. So if you don't know what's in the Bible, then you're very likely to do whatever the denomination tells you that you're supposed to do. So that's what people have done. Here's something that you need to know. I believe that Scripture is the authority. But a lot of people believe the church is the authority. You know, I really expected to get a couple of amens out of that. You know what I'm saying? I believe that Scripture is the authority. But a lot of people buy into the fact that the denomination or the church is the authority. So they do whatever the church or the denomination tells them to do. Now, going forward, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Today, as we look at baptism, I'm going to look at everything that we talk about through the lens of Scripture. 
And this morning, let me just tell you, if you get to the end of this message and you have questions about what you were taught by your previous church or your previous denomination, here is my suggestion. You go back to them and ask them why they didn't tell you about the things that Randy is telling you about this morning. Now today we're going to take some time and I'm going to tell you what's in the Bible about baptism. And it's, and it's really all, it's, it's, it's all Nathan's fault. No, it's not. It's really, I mean, he's the catalyst for this. It's a good thing. I'm going to talk about baptism because I believe we need to understand it. Even as Christ's followers who maybe have already been baptized, so that if somebody comes to us and wants to know about baptism, you can explain it to them. And I really tell you this morning, the story that we find in Scripture, honestly, it's a, it's a pretty amazing story. So everybody loosen up, drop your ideas that I'm trying to attack you and your, you know, your former denomination or your heritage or your church, and, and let's just have fun. And let's just see what it is that the Bible says about baptism. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, to make this understandable, I want you to do some role playing. I want you to pretend. I, I, every person, whether you're man or woman, I just want you to pretend. I just want you to pretend this morning, listen, 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 listen. Pretend that you're living in the first century. I don't care whether you're a man or woman today. Today, for this role-playing idea, you're going to be a man who's living in the first century. Your mother was Greek. Your father was Roman. And you've been raised in a culture, a Greek culture, that's all about all of those gods, Zeus, Athena, all of those gods. And you're this, 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 this Greek uh, uh, man living in the first century, and you're moving to Jerusalem. And you move to Jerusalem, and the reason you move to Jerusalem is because you want to do business in Jerusalem. And you're a merchant. So as a merchant, here's what you want to do. Even though you're not Jewish, you want to do business with the Jewish people. Now, again, you're very sophisticated. And since you're a very sophisticated person, you really don't buy into the whole Greek God thing. You just never did. You just never got into the Zeus and the Athena and all of those things. You didn't get into the mythology and the Roman God thing. Yeah, there probably was a Zeus and there probably are those other gods. But you really don't know because you have never really been a religious person. So here's what you do. You move to Jerusalem and now you're around all these Jewish people. And you start to hear that these Jewish people believe in this God. The Jews believe in the, what, the, what they call the one true God. And these Jewish people are loyal. They're very loyal to this one true God. And they really, really, you notice this. Even though you're not a religious person, you notice that the Jewish people really are loyal and they love the one true God. Now, the Jews are the people you're doing business with, and you notice that they're an oppressed people and they're overly taxed. But they are so in love with this God that they call Yahweh. And, and they talk about him all the time, 
and you're around them and you hear them and you just start to believe these people, the Jewish people just won't let it go. They just talk about Yahweh all the time. And here's the thing. You're a merchant, you're doing business with the Jewish people, and as you get to know the Jewish people, you start to realize that they're very conservative and they're very devout in their belief. Now listen, the Jewish people that you're getting to know are committed to their families and they're committed to righteousness. And being that you came out of the the, the Greek culture, this is something that's totally new to you. And and so you're starting as as this person uh, who is from the outside coming in, you're starting to hang around these Jewish people and you kind of get intrigued with the way they live, the way they love this God. And and because you're so intrigued with, with the Jews, and the people you're doing business with, you make the decision and you start to ask them questions. And as you ask questions, you kind of start to really get this one true God thing. And you know, to you, even though you weren't raised as a religious person, or you didn't buy into all the Greek gods, you, you start hanging around these Jews and this idea of this one true God, listen, 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 it starts to make sense to you. You, you start to really kind of envision this, this invisible God who created everything, the moon, the stars, the sun. And your curiosity gets you in hanging around all these Jewish people and you start to ask questions, and you begin to read some of their literature as they give it to you, and it's translated so that you can read it. And you're so fascinated with these people that you go to your Jewish friends and you ask them, is it possible for me to become a Jew? Is it possible for me, a Gentile, to actually become a Jew? Because over time, you have become to believe that these people, the Jewish people, are really onto something. And you start to believe in this one true God. And that these people, the Jewish people, his people, They are the way to this God. You want to know, can I become a Jew? And I want to worship this one true God. And so you ask your friends, can that happen? Can I become a Jew? And you know, your friends are kind of, they're on the fence and they're like, well, we're really not sure. But, but we think there is probably a way that you can become a Jew. And they tell you that here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to go down and you're going to have to ask somebody else. You're going to have to ask a professional. So they take you down to the outer court of the temple. And they introduce you to one of the scribes. 
And the scribe tells you that if you want to become a Jew, if you want to become Jewish, you're now Gentile, you're going to become Jewish. If you want to become Jewish, there are a list or there is a list of things that you're going to have to do. You can convert to Judaism. You can become a convert to Judaism. But there are a list of things that you're going to have to do. And here's what the scribe tells you. Now, remember, you're a man in the first century of Greek heritage, and the scribe gives you the list. Here's the very first thing on the list. It would eliminate most every man. You have to be circumcised. I mean, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? I'm out. I mean, at that point, if I'm already grown, I'm out. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. You have to submit yourself to the law of Moses. The third thing is there, there needs to be a meal, a ceremonial meal, a covenant meal. The fourth thing is you have to make a sacrifice at the temple as a Gentile. But the fifth thing is what we're going to focus on today. There needs to be a ceremonial ritual washing in a cistern of water. Now, let me, just, let me just help you understand. When I say the word wash, I'm going to try to be very careful so that you hear what I'm saying. But I have a tendency as a good southern boy of saying wash with an R in it. So just remember that, okay? You have to be circumcised. You have to submit yourself to the law of Moses. You have to have a covenant meal. You have to make a sacrifice at the temple as a Gentile. And there needs to be a ritual washing in a cistern of water. So here's what happens. You're there on the outer court of the temple. The scribe takes those five things and he writes those five things down on a piece of parchment. And he hands that to you. And when he writes that last thing. They describe that last thing, the fifth thing, as a ritual bath. And to describe that, they probably would have used the Greek word baptizo. Now, the Greek word baptizo means to wash to dunk, to immerse, to submerge in water. It sometimes even means to drown. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The word, the Greek word baptizo is just a regular, common Greek word. It's just a common Greek word. Now, listen, you've you got a track with me here that had no religious or theological meaning. So when it was described to you as number five, that you were going to have to take a ceremonial bath, the point was just to tell you that you're going to have to be washed. You're going to have to bathe. And it wasn't just any bath. It wasn't just any washing. It was representative of you, listen, washing off your Gentileness and taking on your Jewishness. 
So the Greek word that was used most of the time was the word baptizo, B-A-P-T-I-Z-O. But here's where the confusion is. Here's where the confusion begins. Instead of taking the word baptizo and translating it as wash, they just came up with an English form of that word, and the English form of that word was baptized. And, and let me tell you this morning, this is why this is so important. I, w- I want us to read some scripture out of one of the Gospels this morning, and, and this will help us understand. It's actually Luke chapter 11, verses 37 and 38, and here's what it says. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, now look at what it says. Noticing that Jesus did not wash before the meal, was surprised. Now in every English version of the Bible, the word wash appears. Now the Greek word that you find in the Greek Bible here is the same Greek word you find everywhere in the Bible. But here, it's translated as wash. But everywhere else, it's baptized. Do you know why it's translated as wash? Because that's what it means. That's exactly what it means. So instead of putting the word wash everywhere, they took an English word, baptized, and they stuck it in there. Now listen. And immediately, because we see the word baptized, we think there's something mystical or special about baptized. But you have to know. It was a common Greek word that meant wash. Now let's go back to our story. Here you are trying to become a Jew. And you have your list of things that you want to do, that you have to do. The scribe has given you a list of five things that you have to do. And one of those is that you have to do a ceremonial washing or a ceremonial cleansing. And here's the thing. Listen, 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 listen. You have to get in a tub all by yourself, and you're going to wash. And when you wash, it really means that you're washing away your Gentileness, and instead, now you are identifying with your Jewishness. So you have your list of things that you have to do now to become a Jew. And you're so excited that you're going to become a Jew that you're jetting down to find your wife, and your wife is down by the river getting her whirlpool on. She's doing the laundry in the river. I mean, she's doing the laundry. That's what she's doing. And with that being said, you heard that she's down at the river, and you head down to the river, and it's not just any river. This is the Jordan River. And you get to the Jordan River, and there is your wife, and she's doing exactly what somebody had told you. She's washing your clothes. And you're so excited because you have your list of things that you're going to have to do to become a Jew. 
and you kneel down beside her. And as you show her the list, you hear all this commotion just a little bit further down the river. And, and you look at your wife with the list in your hand and you say, honey, what, what, what is that? What was that noise down the river, down the Jordan River? And she says, I don't know what that is, but that dude has been down there all day and he's driving us crazy. So your curiosity gets the best of you. And you scurry down the, the Jordan River and you see this guy who, who has this big, really, you know, this kind of East Nashville beard. And he's dressed in clothes that make him look like Fred Flintstone. And you just make your way because your curiosity gets the best of you. And you get to the edge of the crowd because you want to see what this guy's doing. And when you get to the edge of the crowd, you hear this guy say, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, the one who is coming, I'm not even fit to tie his shoelaces. Repent, repent, for the way of the Lord is coming. He's coming. There is one who is coming. And you're looking at the people beside you and like, who's he talking about? Who's coming? So you ask the guy next to you, who is, this, who is this guy out here that's yelling all of this stuff? And the guy next to you says, that guy out there in the water, that's John. So you continue to listen to John, who is yelling all of this stuff, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm not fit to tie these shoelaces of the one who is coming. Repent, 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 for he's coming, he's coming. And you listen for a while. And then something happens. The strangest things happens, and it's something that you've never seen before. Because here's the thing, listen, listen. In all of history, never has this been done before. It's the first time in recorded history that this has ever taken place. This guy, John, walks a little deeper out into the Jordan River. And the people that had been listening to him, listen, the people that had been listening to John's message, they line up. And one by one, John takes them and he physically washes them. John is getting them physically wet. John is washing the people. And that's when you figure it out. The light goes on. The people that John are washing, those are the people who are identifying with what he's saying. Those are the people who are actually buying into what John is saying. And once they buy into what John has been saying, they go out into the Jordan River and they get washed. And that's when you understand. They've given John a name, a nickname. They call him John the Washer. They call him John the, the Washing Man. Because here's what happened. They knew that what John was doing had religious significance. 
They knew what John was doing in the Jordan River as he was washing those people. They knew it had religious significance. And they knew he was doing something to these people. So what do they do? They grab a word, and the word they grab for what John is doing is the word baptizo. which simply means to wash. It's what you do if you're a Gentile who wants to become a Jew. It's similar to that. He's making them, John, the washing man, is making them go through something where when he takes them out into the Jordan River, they are washing, symbolically, they are washing something off. So John gets a nickname, John the baptizer, John the one who baptizes. And again, listen, listen to me this morning, if it was translated correctly, it would be translated as John the one who washes, because that's what the word baptizo means. And John got the nickname. Because John was the first person, listen, in recorded history to wash someone else. Because up until that moment, up until that point in history, number five on that list, a ceremonial bath, is something you did to yourself. A ceremonial bath where you did something to to bathe yourself, that was common. But the idea of somebody doing it to somebody else, another person, as symbolic of one thing and joining another, that was brand new. So he got his nickname, John the Baptizer or John the Washer. So here you are standing there. You're standing there. Listen, we're still role-playing here. You're standing there at the corner of the, or at the side of the Jordan River, and suddenly John turns and looks at you. And he points his finger in your direction. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, there he is, the one that I have told you about. Here he is. And you think he's talking to you. And you're like, me? Is he talking to me? And all of a sudden, you feel a hand on your shoulder. And you're getting pushed out of the way. And out of the crowd comes this guy. And the crowd starts to talk because the crowd knows this guy. And you hear people say, Jesus, it's Jesus. That's John the washing man. That's John the baptizer. That, that, that's his cousin. It's Jesus. So you're standing there on the edge of the Jordan River and you're paying a lot of attention because you want to watch and you want to be able to hear this. And you see this guy, Jesus, walk out into the Jordan River up to John and he says to John, John, I need you to wash me. And John says, no, 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 Jesus, I can't wash you. I can't wash you. you got to wash me. 
and it goes back and forth. John and Jesus go back and forth. And it, I mean, it's almost like rock, paper, scissors, you know. Who's going to watch who? Now, let me tell you, this is important to understanding baptism. Because finally, John says, okay. And John washes Jesus in the Jordan River in front of all these people. And you know what's really cool when Jesus comes up out of the water? It's like heaven opens up and God says, this is good. When Jesus came out of the water, it's like God said, this is a good thing because this is my son. This is the one I've been talking about. And you know what happens? Jesus just walks off. And John stays there. And you know what John does? John just keeps washing people. And Jesus goes a little further down the Jordan River. And Jesus gets his own followers. And they go down the river. And you know what the followers of Jesus do? They do the very same thing that John was doing. They start washing people themselves. The followers of Jesus start baptizing too. And what's interesting is this, you may not know this, we find out that, it, that, that, that what's interesting, because Jesus does not do any of the baptizing. He stands on the shore. And his closest followers, the guys you've heard me talk about, Peter and Andrew and John, they start washing the people. So now you have two different sets of people who are washers. And everybody in the community there in Jerusalem and in Judea were like, we've never seen this before. But the thing that we know is this. There is some kind of religious significance to what these two sets of people are doing. And people start to realize, you know, if you're a follower of John, then you get washed by John. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you get washed by Jesus or Jesus' followers. And people are watching this, the followers of John and the followers of Jesus, and it's starting to make sense to them. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say. This is how baptism started. So Jesus continues to do ministry. John gets arrested. With John in jail, his followers decide they're going to continue to take things worldwide. So the followers of John the washing man, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, they, they, they decide, you know what, we're going to leave Jerusalem. And they start going into other parts of the world. And guess what they tell people? They go into other parts of the world and they tell people, get ready, get ready, because you need to understand God is sending someone. God is sending a special someone, so you need to repent of your sins. And they go off into other parts of the world giving the same message that John gave. But here's what's interesting. They're out proclaiming the message that God has, is going to send someone, but they didn't realize that the one that God was going to send, the one that John the baptizer was talking about, Jesus, 
was already there. And Jesus does his deal. He's crucified, raised from the dead. And these guys are in another part of the country, another part of the world, and they don't know that. See, by now, Jesus has already been buried, crucified, buried, and rose again. And the followers of John the baptizer are up in Europe somewhere, and they're still proclaiming the message, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And in my best southern dialect, I'm going to say, he done come and gone. And the followers of John the washing man didn't even know about it. And here they are up in Europe saying the very same thing. And years go by. Years go by, and a guy by the name of Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he got washed. And Paul is in Ephesus. And he runs into the followers. Now listen to this. Connect this. He, Paul runs into the followers of John the washing man, John the baptizer, John the Baptist. He runs into those followers of John, Paul does, and he hears them preaching the message He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Repent of your sins. Now remember, it's years later. And they're still saying he's coming. And Paul goes up to them and pulls them over to the side and says, where did you hear this? Where did you hear the sermon that you're preaching? And they answered, we heard it from John the Baptist. We were baptized by John. And we're taking the message of John as far as we can go. And Paul, Paul says, whoa, 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 time out, guys. i got to catch you up on this. i got to catch you up on what you're talking about because what you're talking about has already happened. The one you've been preaching about has already come. He has taught, he, has, he was crucified, and he rose from the dead. And everything that you've been saying is true. But you need some more information. Guys, the followers of John the Baptist, you've got to change your message. And listen to how these guys responded. This is Acts chapter 19, and we're going to look at two verses, verses 4 and 5. Paul said to them, John's baptism, the, the baptizing of John the Baptist, John the baptizer, John the washing man, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, now this is the followers of John the Baptist, on hearing that, that he had already come and, and, and gone and, and ascended to heaven, on hearing that, they were baptized then again in the name of Jesus. So they were baptized by John the Baptist, John the washing man, and they took off to tell everybody about that. And then Paul catches up with them years later and he says, oh yeah, by the way, you got to have a little bit more information. Jesus has already come and gone. And upon hearing that, the followers of John the Baptist were rebaptized or rewashed by Paul in the name of Jesus. 
And that's what the New Testament teaches about baptism. Because from that point on, everyone who believes, everyone who followed Jesus was washed or baptized or dunked or immersed. However you want to translate or interpret that little Greek word baptize, baptizo. And I guess the question is, what do we learn from this? What are the implications of what I've taught you so far this morning? It's very simple. Baptism is simply a public declaration of a new association. That's all it is. That's what Nathan told you today. I am identifying with Jesus. Jesus is my man. He's my leader. That's what this is. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association or a brand new identity. Or a brand new identity to follow something other than what you had been following. That's all it is. So again, here's the thing. If we run this back through history, we can see. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you were immersed or you were washed. And you said, I'm associating myself with the teachings of the Jews and I'm washing myself and washing away my Gentile beliefs. That's what you would do if you wanted to become a Jew. When John stood in the river and John the Baptist baptized people, they were saying that they, in that moment, were identifying with what John the Baptist was saying. We were going public with our identity with John. We are associating ourselves with this man, John the Baptist, and his teachings. Now, what I'm about to say is really important, and I want some of you to get this, because I know this is hard for some of you to digest, because you've never been taught this this way. Listen to what I'm about to say, because it's going to all make sense right here. This is the reason that Jesus refused to baptize John the Baptist and insisted that John the Baptist baptize him. Jesus was saying that when he went into the water and he allowed John to baptize him, Jesus was saying to those watching and to us that I am associating, this is what Jesus was saying, I'm associating myself with John the Baptist. I'm associating myself with what this man is saying. Because what John the Baptist is saying is true. I'm identifying with him and his message. And by allowing John the Baptist to wash Jesus, he was saying or communicating that I am submitting myself to his message. 
I'm going public, Jesus is saying. I'm going public. I am not ashamed to identify with John the Baptist. I'm not ashamed to identify with John the washer and his message. And then Jesus and his disciples began baptizing people. And when they did that, let me ask you a question. What were they saying? They were saying that they are not afraid. We are not afraid to publicly identify with this man, with Jesus and his message and his new way. This is a brand new point of identification and a brand new association. And we're not ashamed of it. And from that point on, every time a person was baptized, it was their decision to go public. A decision to associate themselves with the name and the teachings of Jesus. And once Jesus physically left the earth and a person could not physically associate with Jesus, then baptism was the way that a person physically demonstrated their inside commitment, their heart commitment to the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ. It was baptism. And the significance of the water is a little bit different from than what it has become. Because again, initially the way the water was just a way of washing off an old identity, the washing away of an old way of life, the washing away of an old association, and essentially say that that I'm coming alive or I'm coming into a new association with a new way of life. So listen again. Baptism or this ceremonial washing was not inherently spiritual in just one context. It was a somewhat common thing that became central to Christianity. And it became, listen, it became central to Christianity as a way to publicly identify with the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's all baptism is. Now, here's the thing. Over the years, I, I, I want to go back to what I said at the first. Over the years, churches and denominations have loaded up baptism with all kind of stuff. And if you want to figure all those things out, let me just tell you this morning. Let me just, don't come to me. Go to those denominational church leaders. Because most of the stuff you will find is stuff that denominations have loaded it up with. It has, listen, 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 it has nothing to do with what happened in the New Testament. The best way to understand what Nathan did this morning is to understand what the, te- the New Testament teaches about baptism and look at what happened. And if we look at the New Testament, we see that baptism is for people who have made a personal decision to associate themselves with Jesus. That's what baptism is. Baptism is for anyone who is old enough to make their own personal decision 
to publicly associate themselves with the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm going to associate with Jesus, and I'm going to say that I'm not embarrassed to be associated with him. That's who baptism is for. Let me just tell you this morning, it's the very reason why we at Crossroads, we don't baptize babies. And we don't baptize infants. Now, we will do baby dedications, but I'm going to just tell you this morning, my lips to your ears, the baby dedications aren't for the babies. The baby dedications are really for the parents. What's important is that a person or a child can look back on a moment in time. And that's what Nathan will be able to do. June 26, 2022, with his grandmothers, great-grandmothers, granddaddies, I mean, friends, family, all these people were at Crossroads Church at the 830 service. He's going to be able to look back at time and say, on that day, on that time, I made a, publicly de- a public decision, and I associated myself with the man, Jesus Christ. You can't do that as a baby, can you? No, Randy, you can't. Now, let me give you one more thing people ask me all the time. Something to think about. Is is what Nathan did this morning, does that ensure that I get to heaven? Is baptism what saves me? And let me just say this morning, there are different denominations that teach that. But the Bible does not teach that. In fact, listen to me this morning, the Bible teaches just the opposite. Here's why we know that salvation is not contingent on water baptism. The first one is this. You don't don't think about this. The first one is this. The first thing is that Jesus himself chose to be baptized. Oh, Lord. It had nothing to do with forgiveness of sin. It had to do with a point of identification and association because that's what baptism is. And then we have the story of the thief on the cross. Now think about the guy on the cross. That guy wasn't just bad. He was really bad because you had to be really bad to be crucified. And he's dying on the cross, and he recognized Jesus and who he is, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, you don't deserve to be here, but I do deserve to be here. And then Jesus makes this incredible statement to the guy on the cross. He says, buddy, don't worry about it, because where I'm going, you're going. But what about baptism? Now, I'm not making fun, but I'm going with Jesus. If Jesus says that he's going to heaven without being baptized, that's good enough for me. Ain't it good enough for you? Here's a guy who's hanging on a cross next to Jesus, and he has no opportunity to do anything. No, not nothing. And Jesus says to the thief on the cross, you're in. Because that's the essence of the Christian message. There was no issue of water baptism. So what does this all mean? It means that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you haven't been washed or you haven't been baptized, then you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized since becoming a Christian, then you need to do that. And we're going to help you do that next month, the end of the month, July 31st. Because baptism is just a step of obedience. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Basically saying to me, Randy, if you're going to lead my church, then I want you to bring those people in and share the good news with them. 
And when they make a decision to follow me, I want you to baptize them. And I want you to do it in a way that it's a public declaration of their newfound identity. Nathan has a newfound identity today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Again, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you haven't been washed, you haven't been baptized. Don't put it off any longer. Make that public statement like Nathan did this morning. Tell people that you're associating yourself with the man, Jesus Christ. Indicate that on the tear-off. Send me an email, randy at crossroadslebanon.com, telling me you want to take that next step in July. We'll get with you. We'll, we'll, We'll put things in place that will allow you to be a part of that service. Maybe this morning you just need to profess your faith in Jesus. Maybe you realize today that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And right where you're seated, in this auditorium, listening or watching online, you just need to say, Jesus, I give it all to you. I turn from my my ways and I look towards you as the author and the finisher of my faith. Because I want to spend eternity in heaven with you and with my loved ones. And just as importantly, I want to live for you here on earth. Pray that prayer however you need to in your own words. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you've done in Nathan's life and in countless other lives. Continue to lead us and guide us in all that we do as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.